Welcome back, guys, to Triggered, my podcast, where we speak all things fitness and mental health. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me in the studio. I have Gary Brecka, who is a professional biologist and biohacker. He has been studying the human biology for over 20 years, predicting human mortality, and previously did it on an insurance for insurance company, which was correct, right? Right, right. But he decided he wanted to go ahead and be on the preventative side of healthcare and is a co-founder of 10X Healthcare Systems, which is an amazing way to biohack your way into optimizing your health and fitness. So right. welcome to the show, Gary. I'm super happy to have you on here. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. And so I was telling you earlier when we just met um, that I've been in nursing for uh, over 10 years. I did cardiology nursing and something that I really saw in the healthcare system is that we just put people on more and more medications. Mm-hmm. They come in with some, some issue, they leave with like three, four, four more medications, whether it's for blood pressure, cholesterol. And as a nurse, I was kind of troubled by this because I felt like we were just putting band-aids on more and more issues. And we weren't necessarily reversing um, disease. We weren't optimizing health. It was just like kind of like putting band-aids on more of the symptoms and issues going on. Agreed. So this is something I really struggled <clears throat> with in, in the nursing field. And I also saw like, medications causing like short-term side effects and even long-term side effects, you know, mm-hmm. something as simple as like a cholesterol pill, which you think you're been, you know, doing something healthy for yourself could actually end up destroying your liver. And, and you know, it, it just felt like a toss up when yeah. you, when you go into the healthcare system. So it was interesting. I, I've seen you do so many different podcasts and you were saying some of the three leading causes of death was cardiovascular accidents, mm-hmm. um, cancer, cancer, and then, um, modern medicine. Modern medicine. Yeah. Okay. Third leading cause of death. Wow. Yeah. And it's, and it's medical error or it's not medical malpractice, right? It's not intentional. It's medical error because, you know, the healthcare system is really not designed to keep um, people in a state of optimal health. It's designed to repair the damage after they've lost their way, right? We're very good at emergency medicine. We're not really that good at keeping people healthy. Correct. Correct. And that is the thing that I struggle with as well, because I would be an end stage heart failure patients, you know, so we're giving them medications that I, you could tell was having an effect, right? They need to be on a beta, beta blocker to help their heart arrhythmia or something. Mm-hmm. So you saw a direct effect of it helping in ways, but you never saw it reverse cardiovascular disease. Right. And we don't actually talk about reversing these pathologies. You know, we're number one spender in healthcare worldwide, right? Yeah. We spend north of $4 trillion a year on, on healthcare. So you would think that there'd be a correlation between the amount of money we spend and the and our quality of care. We're ranked 59th in the world for quality of care, and we're ranked 39th in the world for life expectancy. Oh, so wow. you would think there'd be some correlation between this massive trillion-dollar industry called healthcare and its contribution to either living a healthy, happy, longer life. But the truth is, there's there's the opposite. You know, we built an industry around disease, not an industry around prevention. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how how did you get into like gene hacking and pr- prevention and where, 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 where should we be taking our health? What should we be doing to optimize it exactly? Well, you know, the really astounding thing is, um, is the simplicity in it and how everything seems to be coming full circle. And I'll explain what I mean. You know, in the 22 years that I was a mortality researcher in the insurance industry, we would take 10 years of medical records and 10 years of demographic data, and we would essentially uh, – 
tell the insurance company how long that person had to live to the month. And I get a lot of flack about that. They're like, oh, if you could predict life expectancy to the month, you'd be Jesus or you would have won a <laughs> Nobel Prize. And I, I appreciate both of those comments. But the truth is, is, it was some of the most accurate science in the world. Wow. Um, if you want to know how accurate life insurance companies are at predicting death, just look at what happened during the 2008-2009 financial services crisis. We had 364 banks fail. You didn't have a single life insurance company fail. Um, there's never been a valid life insurance claim in America that's failed to have been paid. These are some of the most solvent financial institutions on the planet. Wow. And yet they take risk that no other financial services enterprise would take, and that is that they bet tens of millions of dollars on one variable. There is nothing else that matters to a life insurance company um, when they put $25 million or $50 million worth of risk on your life, and I worked in the large life side, um, other than the day that you're going to leave this earth. And so they wow. got extraordinarily good at doing that. And I used to say that if this database that I had access to could actually see the light of day, it would permanently change the face of humanity. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately it never will because it would upend modern medicine in a way that would be catastrophic. And, you know, part of what came out of this research project um, was it was a 2016 Harvard uh, university study was followed by a 2019 Johns Hopkins study showing that medical error was the third leading cause of death. Wow. But what became abundantly clear um, as decades of research moved on was that the reason why people are not living healthier, happier, longer, more fulfilling lives are what we call modifiable risk factors. Had I been able to just pick up the phone and talk to that patient or say, listen, you know, we got to address the anemia, not, you know, um, stop taking folic acid, start taking methylfolate. You actually have a D3 deficiency. You don't have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, you don't have a mental health disease. You have a physiologic deficiency. If we could fix this deficiency, that condition that you've been diagnosed with would go away. And, you know, we just don't think of human beings um, – the way that we did decades ago, meaning we don't we don't go into the human body and look for deficiency, okay? Because you know we have this prevailing wisdom that we pass disease from generation to generation. So, for example, um, you know a lot of your listeners have probably heard, well, uh, hypothyroid runs in my family, hypertension runs in my family, yeah. uh, drug and alcohol addiction runs in my family, depression, anxiety runs in my family. Well, what's actually running in your family? Um, Rarely does disease actually run in your family. What's running in your family is the inability for your body to refine a raw material. This causes a deficiency which leads to that disease. So let me explain what I mean. So take hypertension, for example. Um, you know, if you if you have your grandfather has hypertension and then your father has hypertension, now you have hypertension, your doc's gonna say, you have familial or mm -hmm. genetically inherited hypertension. Okay. But, you know, understand that we've mapped the entire human genome. We know every gene in the human body. Okay. So if hypertension was a genetically inherited disease, we would know exactly what gene carries it. Mm -hmm. So next time your doctor tells you you have a familial condition or a genetically inherited condition, say, well, what gene did I inherit yeah. that caused this condition? And watch their face go blank, uh -huh. right? Because the majority of the time, we can't tell you what gene is causing it because it is not a genetic disease. It is a genetic inability to methylate, to refine a raw material. Okay. This leads to a deficiency that causes that disease. So for example, everybody listening to this podcast right now has an amino acid in their blood called homocysteine. Mm -hmm. right? It's a normal amino acid. 
we all have it. Um, it has a lot of great functions. It's it's methylated. It's converted into another amino acid, which helps quite. You can't live without this. You cannot live without okay. homocysteine. You have homo. Everybody that's listening to this podcast has this amino acid in okay. their blood. If you inherited a genetic inability to break this amino acid down, mm -hmm. it leads to high levels of this amino acid called hyperhomocysteinemia. Okay. So what happens when this amino acid rises in the blood? Well, it irritates the lining of the artery. When you irritate the lining of an artery, it clamps down. You have 63,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. It doesn't take much arterial narrowing to drive pressure up. Uh, okay, yeah. So if I make the pipes smaller yeah. in a fixed system, yep. which our system's fixed, yep. right? It's closed. If I make the pipes smaller, pressure, the pressure goes, goes up. up yep. So why is the pressure going up? The pressure's going up not because there's something wrong with the heart. Mm -hmm. Even though in 99% of the cases, we're going to pound on a perfectly healthy organ mm -hmm. for a crime it didn't commit. Yeah. We're going to hit it with beta blockers, beta blockers ACE inhibitors, you know, calcium channel blockers, yep. diuretics, what yeah, have you. Yeah, of course. This is the whole scenario with Dana White, right, when I, when I met Dana. Um, yeah, what happened with Dana? Dana had very high levels of homocysteine, one of the highest I'd ever seen. Okay. And, um, and you know, interestingly, I started to pull his medical records, and I said, look, you know, you going back in your in your records, um, you know, you've always had a normal EKG, mm -hmm. a normal EEG. You've had normal heart and lung sounds. Um, you've actually had all of these other diagnostic workups. They're all normal. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with your heart, mm -hmm. but you have this high level of homocysteine. So we used an amino acid called trimethylglycine (TMG). You can actually get it off of Amazon, mm -hmm. and we started to metabolize. His body started to break down homocysteine. As his homocysteine fell, his arteries relaxed and his pressure returned to normal. Wow. And he was able to get off of Is this like a medication. vitamin supplement you could take? It's a vitamin supplement you can so take. So just like a pill? Yeah, it's a capsule. Okay. Um, like I said, you could get a GNC. I mean, I would prefer that you use a really good brand like yeah. Thorne or mine or Right. Pure so it's absorbed better. But so, so it's absorbed, absorbed better. But, but the point being that very often when we are deficient in certain nutrients, Yeah. We get the expression of that disease. So going to disease, because obviously we're taught much different in nursing school. Mm -hmm. We should What we should be doing with patients is testing all their genetic makeup. No, not all of their genetic makeup. Because if you pull the entire genetic profile, you'll get a lot of useless information. And by useless, I mean you can't. It's not actionable. Okay. Yeah. You know, you find that they have olive hair and green eyes and okay. detached ear lobes. And, um, um, so functional... Gen functional yeah. amino acids you want what you want to test when you look at um a patient's dna mm -hmm. is you want to look at um what's called the the genes of methylation okay so methylation in a human being is the process of taking a raw material that's put into the body folic acid for example and converting it into the usable form okay so in other words in human beings there is not a single compound not one that we put into the human body. There's no vitamin, no mineral, no amino acid, no carbohydrate, no protein, no nothing that enters our body that is used in the format that we put it in. Because it's converted or broken down to something else. It's converted or it's broken down into something else so that the body can use it. Okay. So for example, you eat a piece of chicken. Yeah. Um, your body doesn't actually use the chicken. What it does is it breaks the chicken down into individual amino acids. Those individual amino acids enter different transactions. Right. What if you didn't have the ability to break down certain amino acids? So for example, take the amino acid tryptophan. Mm -hmm. Tryptophan is the one that's famous for making you sleepy when, yeah. you know, Thanksgiving dinner. Right. Um, tryptophan is how we actually methylate serotonin. Oh, wow. We make the neurotransmitter serotonin 
from the amino acid tryptophan. Wow. So what if you had impaired ability to convert tryptophan into serotonin? Into serotonin. Okay. You mood, dis- have, mood disorder, depression. You have depression, right? We define depression in this country, which I, I, I take issue with this, by the way. I'll explain that in a minute. But we define depression in this country. The prevailing uh, you know, um, definition is that if you are low on serotonin, mm-hmm. you are by definition depressed. Okay. And so um, you would think that the treatment would be to raise serotonin. Yeah. Right. If 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 the definition of depression is low serotonin, right. then why don't we raise give serotonin? us some more? Yeah. Well, that's not what we do. We okay. take patients that are depressed, yeah. and we put them on something called SSRIs, these selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And what this does is it basically rations, it inhibits the reuptake of serotonin. It rations what little serotonin you have, so that um, so you don't go off a cliff. Yeah. But the 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 challenge is that we define depression as low serotonin, but yet this antidepressant doesn't raise serotonin. So by definition, it never ends depression. Of course. Right? And this is why a lot of people that are listening to this, if they've been on SSRIs, not just for days or weeks or months, but for years, because it's by definition not going to address how we define um, depression. If we understand, however, that 90% of the serotonin is in our gut, right? If yeah. you don't have it here, you can't have it here. So, so is there one is there one deficiency then that um, needs there to be... is a there is a uh, gene mutation called okay. M, uh, MTHFR. It's affectionately called the motherfucker gene. The motherfucker. You may have to depression is a motherfucker. Carve that one out, but <laughs> <laughs> stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. But it's MTHFR. By the way, is the most common gene mutation in the world. Oh wow! Um, and it's, it's in your cause. gut. It's something missing in your no, gut. No, it's a genetic inability to actually methylate to take folic acid and folate. Okay. And convert it into the only form the human body can use, which is called methylfolate methylfolate so for example um take postpartum depression i'm so glad we're talking about this um you know uh you know a lot of uh a lot of pregnant women you know deal with postpartum depression i definitely did too you did i have a three-year-old yeah Oh wow! Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna love this. Okay. Or or hate it as a case. Or maybe. hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know when um, when when a woman gets pregnant, you know one of the first things that their OBGYN says is, "Hey, you need to take high doses of folic acid." Usually yes. because they say it prevents a neural tube defect, which is patently false. Um, you know, folic acid first of all is a man-made chemical. Okay, you cannot find folic acid anywhere on the surface of the earth. It does not occur naturally in nature. We make it in a laboratory. It is a synthetic form of the nutrient folate. Okay. And while that might not sound like a big deal, 44% of the population has a gene mutation that doesn't allow them to convert folic acid into to... methylfolate. Okay. Methylfolate prevents neural tube defects. Okay. Not folic acid. Gotcha. So what happens is what about the 44% of women that have this gene mutation and they get pregnant, they take a they take high doses of folic acid, 1600, 1900% of the daily allowance of folic acid, they start to go nuts. And eventually what happens is the pregnancy ends and they stop taking the prenatal vitamin. Why do they go nuts? Um, they go nuts because if your body cannot process folic acid, for example, then the amount of folic acid skyrockets okay. and the amount of necessary full, full, um, methylfolate tanks. Okay. So what happens when the amount of folic acid um, rises? First of all, this is very stimulatory, okay. right? And it causes a rise in something called catecholamines, which is a category of neurotransmitters that are fight or flight neurotransmitters. And anybody that's suffered from anxiety um, knows that you don't always need the presence of a fear mm-hmm. 
to feel fear, mm-hmm. right? People that actually, you know, truly suffer from anxiety, and there, there are so many people that have to deal with this, um, is, you know, they can, they can be driving home from work on an otherwise innocuous day, and they can be overwhelmed by anxiety. Okay. They could be sitting at the dinner table with their family um, in a very safe environment and all of a sudden be overwhelmed with, by anxiety. Is that because of the catecholamines this going is, through? Yeah, this is, this is not coming from what we call a cluster of symptoms. There's no presence of yeah. fear. No triggers. It's, it's a rise in catecholamines. Okay. Right? Remember, the, the brain is sophisticated as we'd like to think it is. It's really not. Right? It's very primal. So it can come from... The rise in folic acid, not being able to convert it down. No question. You, okay. you, you want to find out if your child has the MTHFR gene mutation, feed them high doses of folic acid and watch their behavior go off the charts. They will go DEFCON 9 real quick. So they'll have crazy tantrums or be hyperactive or... Yeah, exactly. So so forty again, 44% of the population has this gene mutation, which means 44% of children have it. So where do you find folic acid? Well, folic acid isn't any fortified or enriched food. Mm-hmm. So, um, what so, so back to the postpartum depression, yeah. what, what has happens there? So they took, they thought they were taking folic acid for their mm-hmm. pregnancy to protect the baby. You said it may or it might not be helping them at all in 44% it, of the population. Yeah. If they have that MTHFR gene mutation, it's, it's not, not doing, doing anything, anything to prevent the neural okay. tube defect and it's making them crazy. Okay. And it's the catecholamines are flooded. They feel anxious during mm-hmm. their pregnancy. They already have anxiety probably for other reasons and then they stop taking it when they the baby they deliver the baby eventually the pregnancy ends okay um and they stop taking the prenatal vitamin and the symptoms go away but the anxiety symptoms go away the the um the postpartum depression symptoms eventually go away yeah usually it coincides precisely with within a few days of when they stop actually taking their prenatal. Okay. And so what happens is they blame it on the pregnancy, not on the vitamin. Wow. And so if on the other hand, these women were given methylfolate, mm-hmm. and there are some really good prenatals out there that, that have methylfolate, have that? Okay. yeah, and don't have like cyanocobalamin, a cyanide-based form of B12, they they if they were given methylfolate, then they would have had um, the postpartum depression. I have yet to see a single peer-reviewed published clinical study linking elevated levels of hormones Mm -hmm. to postpartum depression. It's perfectly normal for a female's estrogen to go from in the 400s to in the 4,000s. So it's not the skyrocketing level of estrogen. That's a perfectly normal physiologic response. It's not the actual change in the ratio of hormones. These are normal physiologic responses. It is the addition of a synthetic form of folate that their body cannot process. And by the way, you know, when these kids have these issues, so the standard American diet for mm-hmm. children in the morning is a white bagel or cereal or Pop-Tart or, you know, bread of some kind. So those are fortified or enriched foods. Yeah. So now the kid wakes up in the morning, you feed him um, standard American breakfast, you know, you either cereal, eat toast, grains, <laughs> grain, cereals, toast, yeah. bagel. And you wonder why it's a full contact sport to get this kid in the car to go to school in the morning. Well, this is because you just basically, you know, folic acid is like cocaine for a six-year-old oh, wow. with this gene mutation. It yeah. makes their little brains race. Yeah. And then they get to school and the call comes home and they're like, hey, you know, um, Mom and dad, Johnny can't pay attention. You know, he's disruptive. He yeah. doesn't follow directions. He doesn't complete assignments. We need to bring in the Ritalin to kind of yeah, fix this. Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. And if you think about the solution, the solution doesn't even make sense either because we, we you know, we believe that ADHD and ADD are attention deficits. Yeah. Right? Let's talk attention. about that for a second because I've been diagnosed with ADHD and I definitely have really obvious symptoms like there's no question i have something going on that's not like my husband or my friends (laughs) so help me figure this out 
So, um, so attention deficit disorder is not really an attention deficit at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually an attention overload disorder, okay. right? It's um, people that have ADD or ADHD do not lack the ability to pay attention. They lack the ability to pay attention to so many things. Right. So in other words, remember that in the human brain, we don't just create thought. We also dismantle thought. Okay. We break thought down. Okay. If you didn't, you would always be thinking the same thing. You would always be in the same mood. So, so when a certain stimulus arises, we react. When that stimulus is gone, the that mood is degraded. Okay. And so, neurotransmitters are added to create mood. They are broken down. Um, they are methylated to bring the mood back to normal. So. If we understand that we create thought and we break thought down, mm -hmm. then we can understand that if we break thought down mm -hmm. at a slower rate than we create a new thought, yes, the brain gets very clouded. Yeah. So like you're thinking about a job you're working on and your friend walks up. And so you're thinking about a job, you start talking to your friend. And while you're talking to your friend, you see a logo on her jacket. And it reminds you of a vacation you want to take. Yeah. So now you're thinking about a job, talking to your friend, looking at the logo, thinking about a vacation you want to take all at the same time. Yep. And then your friend's like, hey, um, listen, Lauren, my, um, my grandmother passed away on Sunday. And you're like, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know I mean? And then you snap back into the conversation. Yeah. So you actually didn't have a deficit of attention. You had too many, too many things to pay opened. attention to. Yeah. Right. So these um so there's a gene called COMT, catechol-O-methyltransferase. It's a fancy way of saying this gene transfers methyl groups from the category of neurotransmitters called catecholamines, fight or flight neurotransmitters. So if I can't actually break these down, then it keeps my mind awake. These people usually have the same type of sleep pattern. They'll go to bed tired mm -hmm. and their mind will keep we'll them keep awake. Will keep racing, yeah. Right? And or even have the most epiphanies at nighttime <clears throat> instead of during the daytime. Yeah. yeah. And why is this? Why is it that your environment quiets, your mind wakes up? Because... If your environment quiets and your mind wakes up, this is because your your mind is awake because of these catecholamines in the brain. And generally, they have a tendency to go to straight to worst case scenario at night. You know, so just like a knock at the door, definitely a murderer, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Or, you know, they consider something about their job. They're like, oh, I'm just going to lose my job. Or they consider something about my car. It's going to break down on, you know, the way to work tomorrow. Or So um, so what could they, <clears throat> what could these people that are missing a, a methylated gene, is that correct? Yeah. So these. What could they do or take to prevent well, this? Well, first of all, there's a genetic test. Um, it's called a genetic methylation profile. It's a is, very fancy word for just saying it's a cheek swab. You swab the inside of your cheek, you send it to a laboratory. I am not the only one that does this. There's is this the 10X healthcare? 10X does this, okay. yes, for sure. And I'm a huge believer in it because um, if you want to spend the rest of your life supplementing for deficiency mm -hmm. rather than supplementing just for the sake of supplementing, mm -hmm. you need to do this test. Because yeah. right now, most people, when they take supplements, they're just kind of guessing. Well, Absolutely. I heard ashwagandha was good and CoQ10, and I should probably take some vitamin C. And I've always felt so overwhelmed with the conflicting information. I was like, I'd love to take anything that you say to take. I'd love to, I've actually loved to be challenged by any diet, and I, I would love to get into dieting next. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about diet. But 
But the truth is that you need data. You need yeah. information. It's just like, you know, when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, I feel like they, they know more about their income statement, their balance sheet, their P&L for their business than they know about their own bodies. Yeah. They don't have any data on their own bodies. You know, there's 74 biomarkers that I think everybody should look at in the blood. Um, I'll post these on my Instagram. You yeah. know, you guys, anybody that's listening to this podcast, you can just go to my Instagram and take it and bring it so to So 74 biomarkers are the main things to correct many of these deficiencies. Oh, if you look at these 74 biomarkers uh-huh. and you look at the five major genes of methylation, okay. you can turn yourself into a superhuman. That's insane. Because most of us are not living in the state of being optimal because we are deficient in a nutrient we're unaware of. Yeah. Magic things happen to the human body mm-hmm. when you just give it the raw material it needs to do its job. So give me an example with the ADHD. You, I, I think I heard you say somewhere that it might be a deficiency in L-theanine. Um, L-methionine um, and also uh, folate is a huge one, methylfolate. Okay. I um, think I probably have both. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you know, a, a lot of times people that have this gene mutation and have ADD or ADHD are eating the kinds of foods full of folic acid, yeah. fortified or enriched. I, I, can I interrupt for one second? Yeah, yeah, of course. When I, I went on a very high-carb muscle-building diet, which had a lot of folate, I'm sure, and mm. in Ezekiel toast, rice, brown rice, all these grains – and I, I did grow muscles, but I don't know. I still felt very hyperactive. When I went on to keto, which I did on and off for three years, I got super lean, dropped water weight. I felt like my mood was insanely stable. Yes. My energy was insanely stable. No it, folic acid. It wasn't keto. like that I had super energy, or but I didn't have the highs and lows of the energy. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember like thinking this is a miracle diet, right? And yep. it was so amazing. Um, and then anyways, that was just a fascinating thing for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the keto diet, you know, when the body switches fuel sources and it switches mainly to, to, to beta hydroxybutyrate and starts to use fuel, you know, fat as a, as, as a fuel source, what a lot of people don't realize is this is the lowest inflammatory diet on the planet, right? I mean, it really reduces inflammation. Um, carnivore diet can do the same thing. And it really reduces inflammation. But what it's really doing at a cellular level, it's depleting something called deuterium. And it's a hard concept for people to get their arms around, but um, every day that we're alive, everybody listening to this podcast, your body makes about 100 gallons of intracellular water every day. And every time I say that, people are like, what? 100 gallons? How does, exactly. How does my body make 100 gallons of water if um, I only drink a half a gallon of water? Yeah. Well, you make water intracellularly the same way we make it in space. You take two oxygen two hydrogens, one oxygen, you put these gases together, you create a water molecule, and then it goes into something called the mitochondria as fuel. You are not capable of drinking enough water in 30 days to power your mitochondria for even a half of the afternoon. Okay. So we have to actually make water Water in the human body. Okay. And we make this water by taking the gases, hydrogen, oxygen, putting them together, and then creating a water molecule. When we do this, There's two types of water that we make. If you want to blow your mind sometime, look up deuterium-depleted water. When we make heavy water inside of our cells because of inflammation, it goes into the mitochondria and it actually breaks something called the Krebs cycle. And this is where human beings get our energy. We're actually not you know, powered by the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the supplements we take. We're powered by one energy source called ATP. ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And... The more efficient we are at creating this energy source, the healthier we are as an organism. Is this why people can fast and still have crazy good amount of energy? No question, because think about what happens in fasting. You know, the body starts to ration itself, right? So it starts to 
say, okay, well, if I'm not going to get food, um, now I'm going to switch my fuel source to fat. So then it starts to burn fat. As it's burning fast fat, it also looks to its own structures and it says, what are the most useless structures in the body? And those are generally considered senescent cells. These are cells that are floating around your bloodstream um, that can no longer perform their function. Oh, these are, they call them zombie cells. Oh. So, for example, long before a red blood cell dies, mm-hmm. it loses its ability to carry oxygen. Oh, I didn't long, know that. Long before a platelet um, dies, it loses its ability to carry um, growth factors. When the same thing happens to white blood cells that can't mount an immune defense. So this is like having a company full of lazy employees that yeah. are still on the payroll, right? <laughs> you, like to, you like to fire them yes. and put somebody in their seat that's going to do their job. Is this autop- autophagy? Autophagy is cell death. So what happens is it improves cellular autophagy. So what happens is the body actually starts to consume these cells for energy. What what part of it is consuming? Um, so the, the, the immune system begins to break down mm-hmm. zombie cells. Okay. It says, listen, that red blood cell is useless. I'm actually going to... Gobble it up and use the proteins and the other nutrients in that cell to feed the organism. So it eats the weakest first. Okay. And so this is very cleansing for you, right? Well, I'm actually, this is really fascinating because I'm starting a three to seven day water fast. Oh, you're going to... And I feel amazing. Really? Oh my God. You're going to okay, literally sound like I was really, really hoping you were going to be positive for this. Yeah. Because, you know, I've, I've done research on fast. I've only ever done like the cayenne pepper lemon mm-hmm. water fast which for three days. And I, I wasn't properly prepared. I don't do the research. So I kind of let my mind decide I, I needed to eat again, right? I, I wanted the munchies. So I ended up munching on kale chips. So I really only made it to three days. But when I did a little more research and I, and I was researching what people were saying is the autophagy and how it's really, really beneficial to break yeah. down these cells. And, you know, you can kind of reduce the risk of cancer, reduce the risk of autoimmune. No question. And I, mean, I was like, I need to get to this seven plus days. Yeah. And, and it's just more of a mind game. And, you know, with, with diet and training, I've had the ability to be t- become disciplined mm-hmm. with that, di- you know, following a specific diet um, and things like that. So it's it's, it's just another le- level, right? So yeah. I'm super excited. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually interviewing Walter Longo uh, this weekend, and he's, he's cons- widely, widely considered the the father of, of fasting. I mean, he's wow. arguably the most published researcher in the world. Really? On intermittent fasting. Okay. It's a company called Prolon, which I'm a huge fan of. They have one-day uh, and five-day fasts um, that actually um, – they even have all kinds of uh, uh, products that, that actually you can consume that don't break a fast. Okay. Um, oh, that's good to know because I had to do the research. Like, could, can I have black coffee? Can I have green tea? Can oh, I have, look up can I have salt? Longo. Blow your mind. Oh, he's the one. Okay, oh, yeah, I yeah. need to he's, write this down. He's, he's the one. He's a German PhD. Volter um, Longo? Yep. Okay, and L-O-N-G-O. he's the father of fasting. <laughs> Absolutely the father of fasting. This is amazing. I don't think anybody would deny this that. This came right at the perfect time. And um, University of San Diego, California, I think is where um, he's, a, he's a researcher, but he's written a number of books. He's published a number of papers. And, and I love the fact that he uses data to, mm-hmm. to objectify you know, his findings and that also that a lot of these are human trials. But fasting is another one of those things that we can harness to actually, you know, improve our state of optimal health, you know, and this is kind of philosophically where I come from as a human biologist is that, um, you know, we've lost so much faith in mankind and humanity and the the ability of the human body to heal itself and heal the world around it. We spend so much time studying chemicals and synthetics and pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. And those are rarely the answer because when we use something called metabolites, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, whole foods, the body recognizes these. 
it breaks them down, it uses them in different transactions, and it can easily get rid of the waste. When you put chemicals, synthetics, pharmaceuticals, non-natural compounds into the human body, it doesn't recognize them. Mm-hmm. And generally, this is where your side effects come from yeah. because the body doesn't recognize it. So one of the reasons why I'm a huge fan of peptides, for example. Um, but And what, what makes peptides different from pharmaceuticals? Um, well, peptides, um, in generally, uh, you can put peptides into the category of amino acids. Amino they're, acids. They're amino acid chains. So growth hormone peptides are a certain um, analog of growth hormone, maybe 44 of the amino acids that are the entire analog of growth hormone. But the interesting thing is when you take amino acids and you put those into the body, mm-hmm. they're metabolites, your body breaks them down into its finest component. And you can do things with these amino acids, peptides, that actually encourage the body to take care to take care of a process on its own. For example, you can take growth hormone releasing hormones and growth hormone releasing peptides that will rewind your pituitary to a more youthful level of growth hormone secretion. Wow. So rather than taking growth hormone from outside the body and putting it in, you can generate your own, own yeah. growth hormone um, at a very youthful level. You know, and and no matter what anyone tells you, you know, there's there's no better. This is a big fad going on right now. Too, yeah, yeah. With, there's with, no better hormone the, than with the, the pep, body with the peptides, and I hear people are taking like, was it semaglutide? Yeah, semaglutide is a peptide. It's, so it's a precursor to your own growth hormone, and you. you well, not that, that not that one. That's oh, okay. that, that's a GLP one inhibitor. It's a, it's actually a um, glucose like polypeptide or glucose like independent polypeptide. Um, but essentially, what those do is they they slow gastric emptying and they. Um, bring your insulin level and your sugar levels down. Do we you, have these in our body already or? No, you don't have tirzepatide or semaglutide in your body. But, you know, this is the Ozampics, the Wagovis, um, you know, they're massive weight loss drugs right now. Yes. The, the one thing that I would say, if you are going to take Ozampic or tirzepatide, which would be my preference. And, um, and these are appetite suppressants. They, they just, they, they not only suppress appetite by reducing the rate of gastric emptying, but they also um, help to keep hemoglobin A1C, which is your three-month average of your blood sugars. They keep blood sugar low, and they keep your insulin low. Okay. And so for people that are um, morbidly obese, type 2 diabetics, I mean, these can be life-changing. Oh, wow. But it's become a diet fad, yes, too. Yes, that's what and, I'm hearing. I and, haven't tried it yet, but I've I've talked to like hormone doctors that highly recommend it, and yeah. people are getting amazing results apparently. So yeah, I mean, for a period of time, it can really help because it will help control cravings. It will, um, you know, it will keep your your sugars and your and your insulin down. Um, but you want to remember that, um, you know, the studies that are coming out now show that about a third of the weight that you lose, maybe even up to two thirds of the weight that you lose, is lean body mass. Oh, so damn. if you lose 10 pounds, you lose three pounds of muscle. If you lose 20 pounds, you lose six pounds of muscle. Yeah. So it's imperative. And I, I need to also say I am not a physician. I'm not licensed to practice medicine. So th- don't take this as medical advice. <laughs> but you do work with um, a lot of functional doctors. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I have a, an entire team of physicians that, that work with me. You know, I train them on blood work and, and genetic yeah. testing. Um, I mean, so we have a lot of people that are licensed to practice medicine. But the most important thing, if you are going to take one of these, Wagovis, Zampics, Semaglutides, Tuzepatides, is you should absolutely take a growth hormone peptide with it. Okay. You want something that is anti-sarcopenic that actually prevents muscle wasting. Prevents muscle wasting. Okay. So um, if you take a growth hormone peptide, uh, like a Samorlin and Ipamorlin, 
or CJC-1295 in ipamorlin. So it'll prevent muscle wasting. It will protect you from While you're losing muscle fat. wasting, yes. Okay. Because, you know, when most people say they want to lose weight, what they really mean is I want to lose fat. Of course. Right? So, of course. Most so, people, yes. Yeah, so let's, if you're going to take a semaglutide, if your doctor puts you on semaglutide or tercepatide, then just make sure that you also take a growth hormone peptide and then all you lose is fat, not so, muscle. So a little bit back to the fasting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, does the body naturally protect against muscle wasting or is it going to... Yes. It does. Yes, it'll, it will preserve um, muscle. Now, don't get me wrong, if you put an intense demand on the body so if you went and did a really intense workout in a fasted state yeah your body would convert your own lean muscle into amino acids it would actually fuel that workout from your own lean from, muscle okay this is so why it break even, proteins down to create a sugar it will actually create yes it will break proteins down to create a sugar okay. exactly it okay. will secrete an enzyme and literally digest your own lean muscle in order to fuel its workout this is why that you rarely see anyone in the fitness industry industry recommend intense workouts in a fasted state okay steady state cardio in a fasted state is what the majority of the prevailing wisdom is right because if you put a an extreme energy demand on the body yeah and you you know we'd like to see well let's just really quickly let's just go through the 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 hierarchy of energy use in the body and there's no exceptions to this rule okay so the first rule is that if you have glucose in the blood your body will use that as a source of energy yeah no choice over that it'll choose that over over ketone it will choose that over a ketone that's right so if you have sugar in the blood glucose Mm -hmm. is high your body will secrete insulin and contrary to popular belief the primary role of insulin is not to lower blood sugar it's to block any other form of energy use in the body Oh. It's important that we kind of understand that difference. Okay. So what happens? Sugars rise, mm-hmm. insulin rises. Yeah. When insulin rises, your body cannot burn fat. So you cannot access the fatty acid pathway in a high insulin environment. Mm. This is why people that eat the most sugar mm-hmm. have the highest blood fat. Yeah. It's a really difficult concept sometimes for people to grasp. Like Dana White, for example, when I first started working with him, his triglycerides, his level of blood fat, yeah. was through the roof. Okay. It was over 800 and or right around 800. And it was because I, his insulin is so high too? It's because his insulin was so high. And his, why is his insulin so high? Because of his sugars were so high. Okay. So he, he was eating a lot of processed. Um, yeah. yeah. So was it was it strictly diet or was there also a genetic piece of this? There piece? was a genetic piece to it as well. So he, he had a dietary component and then he also had a genetic component. Okay. And so... Um, Sugars were very high. There was a lot of processed sugars, refined sugars, um, and processed foods in his diet. So sugars had been high for such a long period of time that his insulin was through the roof, right? Yeah. It's called hyperinsulinemia. And so the high level of insulin prevented the body from metabolizing fat. Well, where's the first place that, that fat builds up? Mm-hmm. In the blood. Yep. In the form of something called a triglyceride. This is why people that eat the most sugar have the highest blood fat. So... Question. So that which is actually ironic because they, in the hospital we told people to go on a low fat diet. I know it's terrible. Like we're, you, you we're literally, seen... we 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 would have never even imagined telling someone with diabetes or cardiovascular disease to go on a ketogenic diet. That was unheard of back when I was nursing. I, I've, so I've since I've since left the field six years ago, but right. now I've done keto. And are you saying ketogenic is actually good for that condition? No question. So, but you know, imagine trying to explain to somebody that you have a life-threatening level of blood fat yeah so i'm gonna put you on a high, high fat, fat diet, diet <laughs> to bring it down to bring it down <laughs> it's like yeah but know, also how's... the people 
like with diabetes are afraid to not eat sugar or carbs because they think they're going to go hypoglycemic. That's right. So they're scared of ketogenic. Well, remember that um, even if you were not eating carbohydrates or sugars, your body will generate them, right? So the stored form of- Even a type 1 diabetic will generate it? Well, type 1 diabetic will have a difficult time, but I'll I'll get to that in one second. But, you know, the majority of us, what happens is we we take sugar, we Mm -hmm. convert it to a stored form of sugar called Mm -hmm. glycogen, Glycogen, right? Remember the muscle store glycogen, Mm -hmm. they never donate it back to the bloodstream. They keep it for themselves. Really? Yeah. Muscle glycogen doesn't go back into the blood. Not even during fasted cardio? Nope. It's used as a local source of fuel for myofibril contraction. Interesting. And then, but the liver does donate it back to the blood. Okay. So the liver stores sugar, takes sugar, glucose, turns it into glycogen through something called glycogenogenesis, and now it parks it in the liver. And then when you have a period of low blood sugar through a process called gluconeogenesis, new glucose, it turns it back into sugar and puts it back into the blood, Mm -hmm. into glucose. This is why, you know, it, it... it, it sometimes sounds counterintuitive or seems counterintuitive. A lot of people will wear like a constant glucose monitor. Yeah. And they'll go, man, I woke up in the morning. I didn't even eat, but I woke up and started moving around. My blood sugar started rising. Yeah. How's my blood sugar rising? I'm not even eating. Because it's internal. It's your liver. Yeah. Throwing the sugar back into the blood. So it's a perfectly normal response. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you know, by getting some um, data on your body, right, finding out how well do I metabolize sugar. So, for example... You know, uh, intermittent fasting, which I'm a big fan of, can be one of the most impactful, life-saving things that anyone can do, especially if you're insulin resistant or hyperglycemic, high blood sugar. But also some of the worst endocrine disasters I have ever seen, especially in young women, young menstruating women, are women that eat in a very tight feeding window. Okay. It actually sends their endocrine system into an absolute tailspin. That's a bad thing to eat. That is a bad thing. Okay. So if you don't know whether or not you have really good blood sugar regulation or really poor blood sugar regulation, you don't know if you're really a candidate for intermittent fasting. Okay. Because so take take a. Uh, now, would you, you test this by trying to fast, or would you wear a, a continuous glucose monitor? I would test it by taking a fasted blood sugar level. So, you know, you want to look at your blood glucose, your mm-hmm. hemoglobin A1C, which is the three-month average of your blood sugar, and your insulin. Yeah. So let's say, for example, if, you, if you've ever heard of these numbers, your hemoglobin A1C, this three-month average of your blood sugar, goes from about 4.8 to about 5.6. The closer you are to 4.8, the higher the percentage of time you spend in a low blood sugar environment. So, for example, if you wake up in the morning and you do not like to eat, mm-hmm. you're not hungry, Yeah, it's probably because your blood sugar is very, very low. It's probably because you have very good blood sugar regulation. So then what happens is you wake up in the morning, you're fasted, you don't feel like eating, your yeah. blood sugar continues to trend down. Okay. You eat late in the morning or early in the afternoon, and it skyrockets, right? It's- this is why you have an energy slump between two and four in the afternoon. But this is also when you're powered by glucose. You're, when you're, you're, when by you're glucose. not on keto, ketogenic. Right, right, when you're not on ketos. Okay. Ketogenic. So you don't want your blood sugar to look like a heart monitor. You want your blood sugar to look like rolling hills. Yeah. So some of the best things that these women can do is get 20 to 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking. Okay. Because remember that a prolonged period of low blood sugar will be perceived by the pituitary gland as starvation, and it will begin to throttle back your metabolism. 
So especially in young menstruating women, be careful so for us, it's restricting different. your window. So I, when I did ketogenic, and obviously I was training like... Keto's great for women. It's amazing. I didn't know this window thing, though. I, I, I thought, and you know, the literature kind of said, you can make your window smaller for eating. It's better because you're fasting longer. And a lot of times you're not as hungry because you're so satiated by fats and mm-hmm. ketones. Um, but with this thing that you're saying, I mean, I do have a lot of clients where women are, tr- are training and they're, they're following a diet, they're training for six weeks, they're doing like an hour and a half workouts a day, and they're not losing any weight. Oh, I explain exactly why that's what, What's going on? So what happens is, um, and I, ha- and I get, get, get this all the time, you know, women will come in and say, you know, I don't get it, Gary. I, I wake up in the morning, I'm fasted, I have a cup of black coffee, I go to, you know, Orange Theory. You know, Orange yeah. Theory. Yeah. So they, they go to Orange Theory, they go hammer down for 55 minutes, and they're like, look, I've been doing this five, six days a week for three months, I haven't lost a single pound, I don't get it, yeah. you know, I'm not even eating. And I go, well, you're not eating, um, but your body is, it's just eating you. And so... Again, if we go through these laws of physiology, so first, if there's sugar in the blood, mm-hmm. you'll use that as a source of energy. Second, if you don't have sugar in the blood, you will use glycogen, right? Mm-hmm. You, you use stored sugar. Once your glycolic reserve, that glycogen is gone, we have this image in our mind that the body starts to burn fat. Mm-hmm. That is patently false. If you have a high energy demand on the body, you're at orange theory, okay. right? You've had black coffee. You're fasted, and you're in Orange Theory. You're going hammer down. Yep. There is a fork in the road. Your body either goes to fatty acid metabolism, burning fat, or it goes to lean muscle metabolism to burn lean muscle. Okay. It takes about three minutes to start to burn lean muscle and turn it into energy. It takes five to six hours to access the fatty acid pathway. So where do you think you're getting energy for your workout? Your muscle. Your own lean muscle. So you're actually not touching your fat reserve. You're burning your own lean muscle. Damn. That's why... If you want to see a demonstrative shift in Uh these women. Now, the other thing that's happening is because you are restricting your feeding window. So they should be – what what window should they be eating in? I'll explain that in a second. So they restricted their feeding window. Now they're hypoglycemic. They have low blood sugar. Okay. Right? They're exercising really intensely. Yeah. They're burning burning muscle. Um, And then that night – um, they can build the muscle back. So like an accordion, I use lean muscle to fuel my workout, and then I build it back. And I use lean muscle to fuel my workout, and I build it back. Is that when muscle's built overnight, correct? Yeah, that's okay. when muscle's built overnight. So so a game changer for these women. Now, at the same time, remember the pituitary, mm-hmm. right, which is the master puppeteer sitting up here in the brain. It's, it's, it's running everything, okay. right? It's like the master puppeteer. The pituitary, which also runs your menstrual cycle, Okay. Right, determines whether you're a follicular ovulation luteal. It also runs your your body temperature, um, and it runs your metabolism. And it perceives this low blood sugar um, period as starvation. So now it starts to th- throttle back the metabolism. How it starts to drop thyroid hormones. So you see that these these women have very low thyroid hormone levels. The next thing it starts to do because the pituitary also regulates the menstrual cycle through something called luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. It actually starts to mess up their menstrual cycle. Yeah. They actually get what's called aphasic. Oh, I've had that. One hormone entering one phase, one lagging behind. Uh, Where you lose your period, yes? Where you lose your period. Yep, I've had that happen often to me. Yeah. So now if you took 20 to 30 grams of protein Uh within 30 minutes of waking and you did the same exercise. Yeah you would see a demonstrative change. Wow. Your metabolism would increase. Okay. Your body fat percentage would, would drop. Okay. 
your menstrual so cycle. So protein would shakes are good. Great for you. <laughs> um, Drink your protein shake before yeah. you work out. In fact, my my other uh, little secret, and I have no ties to this company. There's a there's a type of amino acid called uh, Perfect Aminos. It's mm-hmm. by Dr. Minkoff. Um, it's it's ninety nine percent absorbable. It actually will not break a fast if you insist on working out fast. It won't break a fast. It will not break a fast. Oh, wow. Um, if you insist on working out intensely in a fasted state, you have to take full spectrum amino acid. Period. Okay. So full spectrum amino amino acids um, does not affect insulin levels. Nope. It just re- um, replenishes your your it proteins. It puts amino acids into the blood so that the liver doesn't go after your own lean muscle. So you fuel. can lose fat and continue all the benefits of fasting while not breaking down muscle tissue. Correct. This is amazing. Yeah. I need this today. <laughs> I wish it was my product. Dr. Minkoff, if you were listening, no, send me an affiliate is, link. Well, I remember um, drinking, when I was doing all these competitions that I did, like, you know, six, 12 plus weeks of mm-hmm. high protein diets. And there were some carbohydrates too. I wasn't on ketogenic. Right. But I, was, I had to have protein every three hours or whatever my coach had me do. Right. And I always had to eat drink before workout and after workout. Yes. So there's never even like an hour period around the workout time that I wasn't mm-hmm. having protein. Yeah. And I saw a massive shift in my metabolism. Like I was eating so many more calories and looking so much leaner and more muscular and et cetera. Yeah. And so it's so interesting. I so didn't know. True. I, I, and, and, and so many, you know, uh, not to pick up the, on the women, but they, they seem to have more of an issue that, with this than men is they don't really realize we need to eat to lose. Yes. Because remember, as sophisticated as we'd like to think that our bodies are, they're really they're really not, right? The brain, the pituitary, you know what? They care about survival. So what is the window then when what women should be eating during the day? So wh- what I would really suggest, if you really want to dial it in, yeah, get your blood work checked, look at your insulin, your sugar, your glucose, and your and your hemoglobin A1C. Okay. If you have Low average low blood sugar, meaning hemoglobin A1C below 5.2. Okay. You are not a candidate for intermittent fasting. Oh. And that will actually make your body think that you're starving. Correct. Which will, will hold on to body metabolism. Which will hold on to body yeah. fat. Remember what happens is the pituitary is regulating something called the thyroid, right? So it has a little messenger it sends to the thyroid called thyroid stimulating hormone, right? And when thyroid stimulating hormone hits the thyroid, it does exactly what it Sounds like yeah. it stimulates the thyroid to produce what's called T4 and T3. So it produces these high thyroid hormones. Well, if it perceives that you're starving, yeah, it slows it the signal. Down. It drops TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which drops your thyroid um, hormones, T3 yeah. and T4. And as you drop these hormones, you're more sensitive to cold, you're less energetic, you're less focused and awake, you're more lethargic, it's slowing your metabolism down. And those hormones are also affecting your menstrual cycle. I mean, it's luteinizing and follicle-stimulating hormone that determine whether or not a, a woman's estrogen and progesterone and other hormones are, are in one phase or another. So now you can wreck your metabolism, you can... Um, um, become very lethargic, you can uh, become highly sensitive to cold, and you can throw your menstrual cycle off all by keeping too tight of a feeding window. Okay. And will this present as hypothyroidism, or is that involved as well? Yes, it'll present as hypothyroidism. And and the interesting thing, you know, not to get off topic again, but when we talk about the thyroid, it's important that we understand that, the, that while the thyroid produces two hormones, yeah. right? it produces T4 and T3, T3 yeah. right? 
it only produces 30% or 20% of the T3 in your blood. Okay. So when T3 is low, mm -hmm. we diagnose this as hypothyroid. Mm -hmm. But the truth is there's an 80% chance that it's not the thyroid. Mm -hmm. So if your T3 hormone is low and your doctor is telling you you have hypothyroid, yeah. there's an 80% chance he's wrong. Okay. There's an 80% chance that you have a gene mutation oh. that doesn't allow the other 80% of this thyroid hormone to be produced. So the question is, where does the other 80% come from? It is methylated from T4. We take T4, oh. we convert it into T3 in the gut. This mm -hmm. happens in your gut. Yeah. And that factory is very easy to turn back on when you take the proper B vitamins, the proper B complex, the proper methylfolate. You can actually return your hypothyroid to normal. Okay. People tell me all the time, they're like, oh my God, Gary, you fixed my thyroid. And I go, well, I actually didn't fix your thyroid, right? I mean, there was nothing wrong with your thyroid. Okay. You know, your doctor was holding it responsible for a crime it wasn't committing. I fixed your methylation right. in your gut, okay. which happens outside of the thyroid. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does okay, actually. Good. But wait, okay, so back to the window, the window, the magical window for women. Yeah. So my my uh, followers are they're fo you know they either follow like a car a carbohydrate diet or or a ketogenic diet. Okay. And so did you say a carbohydrate diet? I or mean, a keto diet? so they're they're, they're like mean, two polar opposite camps. Yeah, they're completely different camps. But <laughs> I, what I'm trying to find out from you is um, because pe they just simply don't like going the high fats. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. sure they they would if they could. But when I've done both successfully, mm -hmm. like yeah. I've had like Ezekiel toast throughout the day and, and rice, and I responded super well. But only when I ate 8 a.m. to like. 8 p.m. or whatever mm -hmm. that was. I don't know what the window was supposed to be. 8 p.m. is fine. Okay, that was the yeah. window when I was training for yeah. shows, trying to gain more muscle and lose fat at the same time. Right. So within six <clears throat> to 12 weeks, I got as ripped as you can get, you know, uh, yeah. down to like 11% body fat with that type of window. So some women are responding really well to that. Um, and then I have the ketogenic where, you know, I allow them to do intermittent fasting <clears throat> to whenever you're ready, one o'clock, 12 o'clock, whatever. So are you saying that the women that have this low hemoglobin and they shouldn't be intermittent fasting, will, will they not do well on keto? They'll do very well on keto. But so keto is kind of an exception because once your body has switched fuel sources and you're truly in ketosis, right? Okay. You're using beta hydroxybutyrate as the main fuel source. Then what happens is your body is already in a state where it's using fat for fuel. And it's not... It does not determine that you're starving. It, it just yes. knows that... It doesn't determine that you're starving because you actually keep a relatively steady low blood sugar because you're using fat as fuel. If you're not constantly in this state of ketosis and you, you, um, you have what's called metabolic flexibility, you switch from being a carbohydrate burner to being a fat burner sometimes. Yeah. Then you're cheating because you had you, a slice of cake. <laughs> yeah. If you, um, yeah, that's, that's the one thing about keto. There's no, there's no cheating. There's no cheating. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and that's the challenge with a lot of these diets, you know, keto being one of them. And I'm a huge fan of keto. I use keto resets all the time and, and, you know, and so the, is there the, is there people. anyone who's probably not a candidate, or everyone everyone can probably benefit somewhat. Everyone can probably benefit somewhat from keto. Remember, every every human being that's listening to this podcast entered this world on a keto diet, right? We all entered this world the same way. You're on a keto diet. In fact, if, if you look at mother's milk colostrum, the first forty eight hours that um, you know natural breast milk is produced, it's almost entirely keto, mm -hmm. right? I mean, babies need lots and lots of fats for neuro neural development and we have actually deficiency in fat not a deficiency in carbohydrates in this country um but it's also important that you eat clean keto 
Yeah. Right. Right. Um, because you know the seed oil varieties, a lot of, oh, a yeah. lot of keto snacks have these polyunsaturated fatty acids, and I, you know, I get censored all the time on 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 social media for talking about uh, seed oils, poisonous seed oils. But yeah. the truth is, you know, and I say it's not seed oils that are bad for you. It's industrial processed seed oils that are bad for you. Which, which most the, of our seed oils are processed. Are. Yeah. yeah. These, they become what, these polyunsaturated fatty acids. And this is the genesis of cardiovascular disease because it causes actually, um, uh, you know, the it causes issues with cholesterol, which is actually what causes the placking, not the LDL cholesterol. Um, you know, it skyrockets the level of inflammation in the body. I mean, if you think about how we actually make canola oil, for example. You take a canola plant, you put it in a commercial press, and, you know, it comes out gummy, okay. right? It's very thick. Yeah. And so they degum it with hexane, which oh is a known God. neurotoxin. That sounds like a gasoline. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is a gasoline. Okay. It's, like, it's terrible for you. Wow. Um, it's, it's a known neurotoxin. And so we, we degum it with hexane, and then once it's degummed, we, we heat it, usually to about 405 degrees Fahrenheit, which turns it rancid. And once the oil is rancid, now we need to deodorize it. So we deodorize it with sodium hydroxide. We did all of this and stuck it in all of our foods? All of our foods. What the hell is going on? Well, that's what, this is because, you know, so so after it's, after it's you know, uh, deodorized with sodium hydroxide, then very often it's cloudy and we bleach it with chlorine. So, um, <gasps> so now you have a... You have a rancid seed oil that's been degummed with a with a carcinogen. Uh, well, sorry, with a neurotoxin that's been deodorized with a carcinogen that's been they're, um, they're, they're, cleared with a, I with mean, a bleach. They're just poisoning our foods. It's basically yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. and they're not teaching our doctors about biohacking. They're teaching our doctors about pharmacology. Yeah. So they don't even have a chance. That's why I tell people, look, you need four oils in your kitchen to cook. Oh, with. tell you us the good oil oils. To eat with. So um. You know, the, the, the best for cooking anyway are going to be grass-fed butter, okay. ghee, ghee butter, ghee butter. Um, coconut oil because it doesn't coconut. denature I, at high I temperatures. I have that, yes. And uh, tallow. Tallow. Are you um, allowed to – can you have olive oil in your diet? Um, You can have olive oil at room temperature. Absolutely. Okay. Just make Just... sure that it is real extra virgin olive extra oil. Extra virgin olive oil. You'd be shocked how many of those labels on the on the – on the shelf, say extra virgin olive oil, and you turn it around, and, and then it will what? say 40% palm kernel oil. Uh-oh. We are actually okay. allowed in the United States to of blend. Of course we are. <laughs> yeah. Of course we are, because um, the Food and Drug Administration is like got some shady stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, don't get me started. Like, the foods <laughs> lead to the drugs. You know? Exactly. I mean, and, and, and the whole thing with diet, you know, is is it's it's really less about the the hyper specific style of diet you are carnivore keto raw food vegan vegetarian than it is the whole food nature, nature of, of what it. you're eating okay right it's you know it, normally it's not actually the food itself it's the distance from the food to the table yeah um how processed it is yeah how processed it is i mean we um you know the, the agricultural revolution i think was like the worst thing that ever happened to humanity yeah for sure you know because we wow. didn't we didn't actually you know do you know, GMO foods and things like Can that. Can I ask one last question? Yeah. This is our last question. I'll give okay. you two minutes. Okay. Fire away. <laughs> How, what is going on with, okay, so I'm very strict with my diet. Mm. I'm bloating insanely for no reason right now. Could mm. could that be genetic? Could that it's be absolutely diet, genetic. diet or nope. genetic? Okay. It's very likely not your diet. Um, oh. So the most overlooked thing in all of bariatric medicine is the following. The most overlooked thing in all of bariatric medicine is not the contents of the gut. We spend so much time talking about intestinal bacterial flora, you know, healthy parasites. In so the it's gut. not the gut's unhealthy or the bacteria is off. 
It's not that the gut's unhealthy. It's not that the bacteria is off. It's not that you have a food allergy or a food sensitivity. So what do I have? Because I look three months pregnant and I'm not. It is intestinal <laughs> motility. Oh. You have to think of the int human intestinal tract as a 30-foot long conveyor belt. Okay. Okay. We okay. put contents on it at one end, mm -hmm. and as it travels down this conveyor belt, so it exits the stomach, it's in a very acidic environment. As it travels through this conveyor belt, it exits the rectum in a very alkaline environment. Okay. The pace of that conveyor belt matters. If you went into any factory in the United States that worked on it with a conveyor belt, with an assembly line, and you doubled the speed of the conveyor belt, just walked into the factory and doubled the speed, what would happen to that assembly line? Yeah. It would absolutely break down if you cut the speed in half or so reverse the conveyor belt. So you need to get tested for a gene mutation called MTH. You can do it right on, on, on my Instagram. Go to my Instagram. Okay. Go to the, go to my site and just click gene test. Okay. I'm going to we'll do all it. of these anyways. But... Oh, this will be a game changer for you. Oh, my God. We should actually do a follow-up podcast. Can we please? Because I, I promise you that's going to become a permanent thing of your past. Okay. Because... So I'm going to do the genes and we're going to, we can go over my genes yep. next and time? And I'm going to tell you exactly what to supplement with oh. and your gut motility is going to return to normal because <gasps> there's people listening right now oh that have God. gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, yes. irritability, cramping, and think it's what they're eating. And I and you and can't even, I, you can't identify why it's happening. But I'm telling you right now, I look, I don't know if you guys can zoom in on this. This is just waking up. Yeah. Like, I didn't eat anything. So, yes. What's so going on? So why would you be bloated like that? Can you and, zoom in on that at all? Hold on. Let me try. And Which, oh, this one. The other question is. What's going on? Why would ah. it be so hard for you to pinpoint what's causing it? Because it's not related to what you're eating. Okay. It is related to the pace of the gut. So I'm not eating slow enough? I'm not chewing? Nope. Okay. It has nothing to do with what you're eating or the pace that you're eating. You're deficient in a nutrient, and I'll tell you exactly what nutrient as soon as I see that genetic test. Okay. And as soon as you start to supplement with this, that's going to become a permanent thing in your past. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes, let's please do part two. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah, this and... would be great. Okay. Well... That's it for now, guys. We have a part I always two feels like coming. they go too fast, you know? No, I know they do. We were having so much fun. I was like, oh, man. And as soon as you'd say one thing, I would be like, okay, there's this other thing I have to ask him. <laughs> yeah. So fun. But 10X Healthcare Systems, guys, check it out. Can yep. people access it on a website? Yeah, or? they can go to my Instagram. All I do is teach on Instagram. It's just at Gary Brecka, G-A-R-Y-B-R-E-C-K-A. Um, I'm actually launching the Ultimate Human Podcast in, in, in um October, which will Ooh. be interviews with the leading minds in the world in research, anti-aging, longevity. Oh my gosh, and, I'm going to geek out on that. The, yeah. the ultimate human? It's called the ultimate human. Ooh. Yeah, I did Dana White You guys have to check out, he has so many biohacks on his Instagram between like sitting on the PMF mats and inhaling a ton of oxygen in the morning. Yeah. And, Drinking we do hydrogen water, hydrogen water, <laughs> red light beds. Like he, he's becoming the ultimate human. So we got to, we got to take some tips from him. So awesome. Thank you, Gary. Yeah. It's great being on here. Okay. See you guys. Bye guys. Ooh, so much fun.